Hey everyone, just a quick heads up before we start the show. Jason will be leading module two of his 500 hour training online starting July 19th. So the focus of this training of this module is building integrity and stability in the spine and core. And it is a six week training together with Jason that you move through as a cohort. And then you have access to the content for a full year. To learn more, to get all the details, to register, go to learn.jasonyoga.com slash 300. That's learn.jasonyoga.com slash 300. Hey everyone, I'm Andrea Ferretti. Welcome to the 300th episode of Yoga Land. Today is going to be a little bit different. I am going to do this episode as a solo cast. Well, part solo cast, and then part Jason is going to join me for the community section where we read comments and observations from you out there in the Yoga Land community. So I wanted to do this episode to just take a moment to pause. I rarely do this in my life. In my podcast, I rarely take a moment to mark the milestones. And I wanted to do that for this one. It just 300 feels really momentous and I'm excited about it. So we're just going to pause. We're going to notice, and I'm going to reflect to you a little bit of where I think things have come from and where they're going. So when I started the podcast eight years ago, I was just finishing up breast cancer treatment. And I can see now that going through that treatment was the catalyst I needed to get this creative project launched. I'd been thinking about it for seven or eight months. I didn't know exactly what medium it was going to be. I was thinking it would be more of a written medium. And when I had cancer treatment, I realized I wanted to seize the day quite simply. It's, you know, cancer is an ominous reminder of how fleeting life is. And it, on the, on a positive note, it made my imposter syndrome temporarily evaporate. So it was also the logistics of part of my cancer treatment, my radiation treatment that introduced me to podcasts. I had a treatment plan that plan that was five weeks of daily appointments and the radiation appointments themselves were only five minutes, but the whole process of driving to the hospital, parking, going in, changing, waiting for the appointment, and then driving back took over an hour. And I had gone to the planning appointment for the radiation treatment where they map out the treatment plan and measure it and do all these physics kind of angles and things on you. And it was really stressful. The appointments for radiation were in the basement of the hospital. So I didn't realize at that time for that pre-planning appointment that I had no internet connection. So I didn't have any music or meditations to listen to. And the machines are really, really big and loud and clanking and you're not allowed to move. And you're warned over and over again through a little microphone that for me, the treatment was right over my heart. And so I remember them warning me that if I moved or even breathed, I could risk damaging my heart. So I was telling my upstairs neighbor about this a few days later before my very first treatment began. And she said, why don't you download a podcast? I have a great one for you. And I'd heard of podcasts, but I 
was not really, I had never actually done the logistics of listening to one. So she took my phone, she downloaded the whole series of Serial, and she said, it'll keep you occupied for a month. And it did. It really did. And it was the bridge that made me fall in love with podcasting and podcasts. Now, if you've listened to Serial, you know it is completely different from Yoga Land. It's a true crime podcast. And I'm not even, a, I don't even listen to true crime anymore. But I just fell in love with this series. I fell in love with the intimacy of the medium. I fell in love with Sarah Koenig's voice in my ears. I fell in love with how she let the story unfold week after week and that she was just curious and inquisitive and she didn't know exactly where it was going. And it just felt so fresh and new to me. It felt, I could tell that she didn't have layers upon layers of staff and editorial guidelines and people breathing down her neck about what to do. She was, it was the wild west and she was telling a great story. And that just felt so exciting to me. The only thing I had to invest in was a $200 microphone, which I did. I bought it off of Amazon and then I could go. I could just go into this blank canvas of open air. Now, since that time, yoga podcasts have boomed. When I started, the only other yoga podcast I could find was that was publishing regularly was Jay Brown Yoga Talks. And I want to just give a quick hats off to Jay, who is still publishing and who I respect very much and who I've had on this very podcast. And he's had me on his podcast. I'll link to that interview. I'll link to both of those interviews in the show notes. But things have really changed for Jay and I. So when I was prepping for this episode, I typed yoga into the Apple podcast search bar and I was floored to find 93 podcasts that have yoga in the title. So that's not even, I'm sure there are many more yoga podcasts that don't specifically have yoga in the title. I can think of Rosie Acosta has Radically Loved, which often talks about yoga. There's plenty that, that don't have yoga in the title that also co cover yoga, but 93 have yoga in the title. So suffice it to say, there's been an explosion of resources and voices and perspectives in the podcast landscape. And I, I love that. I think there's something for everyone. And I think it's a relief to know, to, to we know this, right? That we can't be everything to everyone. And I always think more voices are better. It's hard for me to look back and pinpoint precisely if I knew exactly what my editorial scope was when I started the podcast, because it was kind of just so exciting to me that I wanted to just get started. But I do know that I had one clear aim, and that is simply that I wanted to inspire all of us to keep practicing. I had been doing yoga for a very long time already when I started the podcast and I'd lived the whole arc of the yoga love affair. In my 20s, I had a white hot passionate romance with Ashtanga yoga. Then during my teacher training, which was early 30s, I was introduced to many more styles of yoga, which was great. And I spent the next 10 years dating around quite a bit. I tried so many different teachers and styles. I couldn't possibly name them, but I tried everything from Jiva Mukti to Kundalini to Anusara to Integral, Rocket, Iyengar, 
vinyasa, yin, hot yoga, slow yoga, Bikram yoga. I tried all of it. And I was really fortunate to be exposed to so many different styles, both through my own exploration and also as uh, an editor of Yoga Journal, which I did for 10 years. So I had about about 10 years of yoga conferences that I went to for free and I got to check everybody out. I was required to check everybody out to see who we wanted to include in the magazine. And I think because of this broad exposure, I didn't give up on yoga when I fell out of love with it from time to time, which I did. I think this falling out of love can be a pretty natural part of maturing with your yoga practice. I think so many of us fall in love so hard and so fast, and we're so wide-eyed because it feels so different from anything we've ever done before. And we either overly idealize our teachers or we overly idealize the process. And then when things don't quite go the way we think, like maybe our teacher is actually a human being and makes some mistakes or you get injured in their class or and they don't handle that perfectly, or you plateau and the poses you aim to possess so fervently in the beginning start to get boring, or your teacher moves away, or you just simply feel some malaise from a long-term relationship. Whatever the reason, sustaining a long-term regular yoga practice is not easy. There are also unintended breaks that that naturally happen, like injuries or pregnancy or, yeah, I don't know, like an unexpected global pandemic. I knew all of this. I didn't know about the pandemic, but I knew about these breaks because I'd been through them. I'd been through them. I'd lived it before I started the podcast. And I also knew for myself that if I keep talking about this practice, if I keep learning, I will remain inspired and I will hopefully help others feel inspired to keep going. So as I became more comfortable with podcasting and sharing my own perspectives, I learned something that surprised me. And that is that people found me really relatable. I guess I had always hidden behind the scenes as an editor. I wrote a little bit for Yoga Journal, but it was all, again, within very strict guidelines. So I just never had considered that as I did this podcast, people would not just learn about yoga, but they would feel like they got to know me. And I had a listener tell me once we met face to face, she was a student of Jason's and she said something that was really important to me. She doesn't know it. Uh, I don't think I've ever told her, but she said, you and Jason are the first people in the yoga world to make me feel like I'm just enough as I am. I have always felt in the yoga world like I should be better at the poses or should be quote unquote more spiritual or I should be thinner or prettier or whatever. And I'm paraphrasing what she said, but essentially she was telling me that there was this aspirational quality that she had found in yoga, maybe an exclusive quality as well, that made her feel like she should keep going because she wasn't enough. And if she kept doing yoga, she would be enough. And that she was finding that promise to be very empty. And I was so happy to hear that she felt that way from listening to us. And also I had to reflect on that comment because like anyone, I've certainly spent 
probably too much time in my life feeling like I should be more of something too. And I had felt that way in the yoga world too, many times, especially interviewing quote unquote master well-known teachers. So her comment actually gave me permission to keep doing what I was doing with the podcast and maybe even to stop asking permission so much to just be sitting at the table in a seat of some authority. So I just felt really liberated by her comment to simply share perspectives and people who I felt had something interesting, inspiring, or educational to say. And that was a big deal for me. That probably came, I don't know, three to five years into doing the podcast. So I think it was also my own time at Yoga Journal that really helped me get over this idea that yoga teachers have it all figured out and that we should aspire to be a teacher or a person who has it all figured out. And what I mean is that I really saw behind the curtain as an editor of of master teachers. And I don't mean like, oh, they're terrible people or it's things, scandalous things happen. I don't mean anything like that. But I do mean that I got to see that they were just regular human beings. Like they might be freakishly amazing at asana or they might be incredible scholars or they might be really charismatic, but they had off teaching days sometimes and they got nervous and had their own personal struggles. They had idiosyncrasies and communication quirks. They're just human like you and I. And so as time has gone on with the podcast, I'm very cognizant of not presenting any one perspective or style or school or person as the ultimate authority. And this is something that Jason has always been very clear about in his teaching too. If we think about the development of yoga from so long ago, it came from humans, mere mortals, who were willing to experiment with these techniques that they were discovering in their own personal laboratories, in their own personal bodies. And so Jason and I are very much in line with this philosophy, and I think this is also very much passed down from TKV Desikachar, which is whatever we teach or suggest or advise, it's something for you to try in your own personal laboratory. You get to make the determination of what works for you. And we don't aim to be particularly aspirational. We aim to give you the tools to live your best life wherever you are, whatever you're going through right now. These are tools that will help you manage your thoughts, your emotions. These are tools that will help you navigate your relationships with more clarity and compassion and self-compassion. They're tools that will keep you physically and energetically strong and agile. They'll help you build your self-awareness, which will make it easier for you to determine what your own needs are from moment to moment and how to get them met in a way that's healthy. And of course, they're tools that will help you cope with loss and with changes because none of us in this life gets to escape loss and change. So switching gears a little bit, there there are two things that have been huge surprises for me. The first is the sheer number of downloads we've had. At the time of this recording, it's 6.5 million. 
And I have a really hard time wrapping my brain around that. And I just want to say thank you. Thank you for listening. And if you're out there thinking about starting a podcast, or you have, I want to also assure you that it took quite some time for things to get rolling. About two weeks after I launched the podcast, one of Jason's oldest friends came over and he's like, how's it going? How's your new project going? And I laughed and I was embarrassed and I said, well, I've had about 88 downloads, so I'm hoping it picks up soon. (laughs) And it took a while. Another thing that I didn't anticipate is that I truly feel like we're a community and I love it. I can't tell you how much I appreciate it, especially as an introvert, that I get to do this work that I love and you're out there listening. I just, I'm very, very grateful and it feels like a privilege to be able to talk openly with you about this this living subject matter that I love so much. I think our community is the smartest, coolest, kindest band of weirdos that a girl could ever ask for. And I love you. Related to all of this is the fact that over the past several years, I think because of Jason's involvement, a lot of you out there listening are yoga teachers. And I shared in a recent book club call that I hosted that I essentially bow down to you yoga teachers. I am so grateful that you're out there doing the work that you're doing. I get to share yoga in a way that I'm comfortable with behind a desk and a microphone. But to those of you who are out there hustling your buns to a yoga studio to teach or to workplaces or to people's homes to teach privates, to community centers and senior centers and schools and regional centers and prisons. It's so important, the work that you're doing. And I know how hard it is. I know it's not easy. I did it for two short years, just part-time, and I did it very poorly. I was an incredibly insecure, socially awkward, stumbling, bumbling, mostly mortified, and very financially poor yoga teacher for those two years. (laughs) So I know how brutal it can be, and I respect you, and I support you, and We are lucky that you're out there spreading the philosophy and the physical tools of yoga so that so many people can feel its alchemical effects. So with that, I want to share some comments that I solicited recently. If you listen to the podcast regularly, you know that I started a Substack a few months ago, and you can find it at yogaland.substack.com you can subscribe for free. So it'll ask you for your email address, but just rest assured that if you want to look at it for free for a little while, you can totally do that. You don't ever have to do a paid subscription unless you want to. But on the Substack, I asked people to share their why with me. I asked, why do you teach yoga? or Why do you do this practice? And I want to share with you, the rest of this episode will be me sharing with you just a handful of the responses that I got. And I'm going to bring Jason on for this next segment. Hi there, Jason. Hi, Andrea. I think you'll enjoy this little part. You're getting to come for the fun part, which is I'm going to read people's why statements. Yes. I'm very excited to hear it. Okay. So I'm going to start with Andrea Torfi. Andrea, I've actually read 
a quote from Andrea before on a recent episode. She's in my Substack, and now I feel like I know her well. So she says, I would say I teach because I had a transformation of mind. I learned lessons that will stay with me forever. I wanted to reach people that weren't the strongest or most flexible, people that struggled to get out of bed. I wanted to make yoga accessible for everyone. My favorite teaching moment has been teaching chair yoga for a senior group. It was a surprise class. They weren't excited to see me and let me know. I was able to convince them to go to the class, at least to try it. I started with a meditation. Reluctantly, they closed their eyes and began to breathe. Within 10 minutes, the room was silent. The energy had changed. I thought to myself, yoga is something special. When the class was over, the group was smiling and cheering. They had done it. I was happy to be part of that experience with them. I teach because my hope is when people take class with me, they feel seen and included. That's really beautiful. Isn't that special? Some of my best experiences teaching yoga are also in, I'll just say, slightly less conventional settings and circumstances. Yeah. Yeah. I just, the reason I love these statements so much, and I always love asking this question, is because it's so easy to, on the day-to-day in any job that we do, to feel kind of rote about it, to feel like, oh, this is a grind, and like, here I am again. And when we remember those little magical moments, it we just remember how special the practice is. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So the next one is from Debbie Nolan. And she says, I always thought I would be a studio teacher, which I am. However, I'm also a high school counselor, so I love working with teenagers. When I got certified, I figured I'd practice on them. The baseball coach was a big fan of yoga, so he said I could do a few sessions with the team. Well, a few sessions turned into the whole season per their request. The change I saw in them was unbelievable. Their injuries decreased and their mindset became so much stronger. This led me to open my own business. I now teach yoga in many athletic programs in my tiny state of Delaware, and I've had to hire a few teachers to help me. Whenever I leave a yoga session with a team, I am simply lit up. It's always a good experience. Kids today need to learn mindfulness, breath work, and yoga more than ever. I feel this was my calling to do just that. So that's why I do what I do. This always reminds me of like the last one you read, the malleability and adaptability of these practices. Yeah. You know, and there's just, there's, there's always an access point and these practices or some aspect of these practices are truly relevant for everyone. Yeah. And I've seen this so many times that the studio is only one of countless amazing places to communicate and engage with people in these ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it never ceases to amaze me that humans way back when were just experimenting with themselves and their bodies to try to create ways to navigate being embodied and that these techniques are still applicable to, let's say, a high school baseball team. Sure. Like, it's it's, it's awesome. Okay, this one's just a short one, but it's good to have some short ones. This is from Jessica. She says... I feel so compelled to teach yoga. I don't feel like I have much choice about it. Despite the challenges to teaching yoga, I can't not share something that has given me so much. Yoga has taught me and continues to remind me how to love and accept myself, how to love all other beings, and how to live my dharma. Yoga led me to my dharma, and so my charge is to help others find their dharma. Teaching feeds me as much as it feeds others, so I can't imagine another career path. There's this through line already that I'm hearing, there's a couple, but one of them is this experience of transformation and this 
incredible impetus to pass it on. And I think, I think this is really consistent amongst teachers. We, we, we realize that as a yoga teacher, the main part of our job is not doing yoga. The main part of our job is teaching and engaging with others and passing along some of these things that have been so beneficial to us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think the other thing that comes through to me in reading these is, I don't know, just the reverence that people have in passing it on. Like you said, it creates such an internal transformation that if you're driven to put up with the challenges of being an independent yoga teacher in in the West, and I'm mostly speaking of the West because these, these are the people who have written in. And it's where we are. Yeah. yeah. Then there has to be just such a passion and drive and reverence for passing it on. So there's a woman in my 300 hour program and it's driving me nuts that I cannot remember her name, but she's probably listening. And in our conversation the other day, she used the word justice and she was talking about that. She felt that she needed to do yoga justice. Like there is this feeling of responsibility, right? And not in any sort of heavy weighty way, but just in this understanding that, we are stewards of something that is big and powerful and important. And, and I think all teachers have this sense of, well, I want to do this justice. I want to yeah. do this in a, in a complete way that it deserves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. This next one is from Christine. She says, I reconnected with my yoga practice in my early 30s shortly after I was diagnosed with arthritis. Over time, yoga has taught me to accept my body, its strengths and challenges, and to ride the roller coaster of ups and downs that my physical challenges brought. My yoga practice always meets me where I need it, from the days where I am want to move to the days where I need to melt into my mat. I'm human, and there are inevitably times when I still get angry at my body, but I always come around again, and my practice allows me to embrace and marvel at the resilience of the human mind and body despite what is thrown at it. It's amazing, and it's just such a truth that... Our practice is a reflection of who we are at any given time. So as we age, as we feel better, as we feel worse, as we have higher energy, as we have lower energy, there's just always a way that we can meet ourselves and our needs in this medium. And I just, in my experience of other physical modalities, Maybe some other modalities scale this well, and I just don't know their intricacies well enough, so I can't speak to it. But this practice is is just such a good way to come home no matter where we are. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think growing up a dancer, we always knew we had a shelf life, and our shelf life was really young, right? I mean, if you weren't in New York in a company by the time you were 15, you weren't going to make it. So... For me personally, it is the first thing I've ever done where I feel so grateful that it that it changes with me and that I'm allowed to allow it to change. Yes. And I think a lot of that is because it's not a competitive sport Correct. too. If we if it were, if we had to still be doing if I had to still be doing like full Ekapadagalavasana every day to compete, eh. Yeah. At this point in my life wouldn't feel so good. I can still bust it out when I need to, but I don't need to anymore. So yeah. Okay. I posted this one on my social media because it's just such a moving story. This is from Carol. So she says, when I was doing my yoga teacher training in 2016, my father was dying. 
I wasn't certain I was even going to be able to finish the training as his health was declining rapidly, but I did, and I quickly packed my bags to be with him and my family. One early morning when I was alone with him in hospice, he expressed to me that he wanted me to live a long time. I asked him why, and he said, so that you can help a lot of people. At the time, he didn't know I'd just finished my teacher training, and to be honest, I didn't know if I really wanted to be a yoga teacher. Now, seven years later, I teach Hatha and chair yoga on a regular basis, and I understand what he meant. His words gave me purpose. Every time someone comes up to me before or after class to tell me that their pain is decreasing, that they can breathe better, that their quality of life is improving, that they feel stronger and more confident, and in one case of one senior with dementia, that their illness disappears during class, there's no question why I teach yoga. Yoga helps people of all ages and abilities with life struggles. Somehow, in that quiet moment with my father, he knew I was capable of helping others, and now I know it as a yoga teacher. I'm keeping my fingers crossed that I live a long life. That's so sweet. I know. Yeah. It brings tears and to it's my just, It's so poignant. And I think what comes up for me is it's, it's so difficult to not be petty and vain on a day-to-day basis, and it's so difficult to not spend so much time with things that we don't really care that much about yeah, and shelf the bigger, deeper things. Yeah. Um, and I think that this practice and of, of course life events, but these practices have the ability to kind of cut through that surface level noise mm-hmm. and, and get us to connecting to a deeper place within and to share that to others is, you know, I think what keeps so many of us coming back. Totally. I, one of the things I talked about in the intro, you haven't heard my little intro to this episode that we're doing right now, but I just talk about how this medium is my way of expressing yoga that I never really have. I don't really have the constitution to be a yoga teacher and that I really worship yoga teachers because I tried and it's so challenging, but that this medium is where I get to share it and remember. So I'm really grateful that people are out there listening because this is like my dharma. And I, this medium, writing, producing any kind of content, it's always been a way for me to remember to connect with the bigger aspects of yoga. So one of the reasons I started the podcast was just to help me stay inspired right? Like I knew the ebb and flow of a practice. I was a young mom. I was exhausted and I didn't really, I didn't, wasn't going to a studio anymore. And so it's important that we take time every once in a while to touch base and remember why we're doing this. And so I am just grateful to everyone who contributed. I have just one more to read and this is from Jennifer Ellis. So she says, my experience with yoga was shortly after I received my first fitness certification, just wanting to learn more about all types of movement to better serve my classes. The experience was three VHS classes. Yes, it was the nineties created by Brian Kest. Those videos changed my life. I felt not only a difference in my body, but also in my mind. The first time I authentically shared my why was only recently in a documentary called your brain on yoga. I've had anxiety and OCD since I was four years old, only officially diagnosed in 2007 at the age of 34. All I knew was that when I practiced yoga, my mind and body felt so much better. So I wanted to share that. 
way later, I learned that the science, or I learned the science of yoga, which is that it increases levels of GABA in the brain, which is lacking by those with OCD. The single most important thing I strive to convey to my students every day is to be in tune with their body, to listen to it, to be present so you can hear what it is telling you. It doesn't matter how you look. It matters how you feel. We can all live more fulfilling lives when we feel good inside our body. I didn't really say this to you. I don't know if you know this, but the whole topic that you've come up with here for this episode of What's Your Why is something that has been at the centerpiece of every sequencing training I've ever taught in my life. I knew this because it's in, part of my, the, it was part of my content program too. So you and I talked about that. So one of the ways that, that I communicate this is I tell people about, you know, how I used to travel more or less nonstop. And anytime I was halfway through a flight and not only did I travel nonstop, but I have a phobia around turbulence. I don't have a fear of flying. I have a specific phobia on turbulence that has never gotten that much better. Um, and so inevitably on every flight, I would go through this deep process of what am I doing this for? Why am I doing this? I don't want to do this. And then part of my resolve would be, okay, it's too late. You're going to be there. You better teach at least one thing you really care about. So what is, what is at the core of what you want to teach? And that experience always brought me to like the pith, right? It like really brought me to the center of what I wanted to communicate. So I ask students in these training contexts all the time, like if you could teach your students one thing, like one thing, I know it's hard to be reductionist, but what comes up for you? And it's all the big ticket items. If people talk about self-compassion. They talk about empathy. They talk about letting go. They talk about surrender. They talk about breathing. Never once in asking literally thousands of students this over 20 years has someone said, if I could teach one thing, it's how to press into handstand. <laughs> it's never been a pose, mm -hmm. right? And that isn't to take away the validity of poses, but I think what this does, that the question you're really raising to us is cutting away all the artifice and getting us to really the center of our dharma mm -hmm. and, and why we're doing this. And, as, and I will say as someone that, mostly for better, sometimes for worse, has survived this vocation for a really long time, we need to connect to these things to feel good about it. Mm -hmm. Because there's, as a teacher, there's so much transience in our student base. And there's so, um, there's often not a, like, a, a full communication wheel in that we're talking to others much more than they're talking to us. Mm -hmm. And it's really difficult, just like you were behind the scenes as an editor, actually, even as a teacher, it's really difficult to know what you're teaching and how well it's soaking in, mm -hmm. how impactful it is or isn't. And it's okay. We don't, we, I don't think we need to, or should be told nonstop how amazing <laughs> right. something is. But the point is, to the degree that we feel like we are communicating the deepest, most important things that we want to communicate, that's the degree to which we're going to be content as teachers. It might not be how you're commercially successful or not commercially successful, but in terms of feeling like you're really executing what your calling is, 
it's going to come down to whether or not you feel like you are connecting to the reason you want to be in that room. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Like you said, you're not getting that feedback all the time. I I will say when you're working in a, in a corporate environment, at the very least, you're getting feedback from your colleagues in meetings and you're getting feedback from your boss and it's not always the easiest thing, but you kind of at least know where you stand. Whereas as a yoga teacher, you, you have no idea if you're nailing it or not on any particular day with any particular person. And like you said, it doesn't really matter. Like that's not, the idea is not that you're supposed to be performing and nailing it every single time. Like you've always talked about that you have to kind of trust the yoga. Um, but it's still nice to, um, like you said, it's still nice to come back to, okay, this is why I'm doing this. And, and it's nice for me to be able to share these things from everybody. Cause it's probably nice for people to know that there are other people out there doing just what they're doing in their town, in their city, in their school, in their studio, and that you're all in it together, even if you don't get to see each other. I, I always tell people in my trainings, I say, I, you have to know this and this might come across weird, but we're actually colleagues. Mm-hmm. Like I'm teaching you, but we have the same job. We have the exact same job. Yep. There's nothing that that we go through throughout the course of our career that no one else goes through. Mm-hmm. Like we 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 know what this is. So we have to be able to to operate on that level. And I think the last thing I'll say is just reaffirming this two things actually is I've taught huge classes and walked away and not like felt good about that class. And I've taught really tiny classes and walked away and felt great about that class. Mm-hmm. And when I try to discern what this is, I think it's whether or not I feel like I'm in a flow state where I'm really communicating what I want to communicate as well as I can. And if I do that, I feel pretty content about it. If I don't, I don't. Mm-hmm. In all of these, I think I think what resonates with me, probably the listeners about these stories is none of them are at like a market. The best class was a marquee event right. for Wanderlust, 40,000, blah, blah. And that's not to take that away from that. But the reality is that's not where the vast majority of us spend our time. And it's really about the the real human connections. Yeah, absolutely. And our human connections with others, but also by teaching what has been so transformative to us it keeps us in that lane. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like by me teaching and helping to people focus on developing equilibrium, it reminds me to keep developing equilibrium. Exactly. So we're, we're continuing to teach to others what we need to continue to reinforce to ourselves. That's how I feel about writing and creating content too. So relatable. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks for being here, Jason. Thank you all for listening. If you would like to go through and read all of these lovely comments that people left, there are some that I didn't have a chance to read. I'll put a link to my Substack on the show notes page and you can find show notes at yogalandpodcast.com slash episode 300. Woohoo. Congratulations, by the way. <laughs> Thank you. It feels good. Nice really work. Good. All right. Okay, everyone. Until next week, enjoy your practice. 